Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I'm so excited to have Tiffany A. Washington on the show today. She's the founder and CEO of Transformation 7, and we're going to talk all about business today. What else is new? Thanks for coming on, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me, Alessandra. I'm so grateful to be here. Of course. I'm excited to talk with you. It seems like you have a lot of knowledge that we will all be able to, to take a lot away from. So start by telling us, what is what is your business? How did you get all started? What is kind of your background there? Yeah, so actually, I am a former school principal who ditched her day job to start helping women to secure corporate contracts. And one of the things that I've noticed is that women who are experts in their field want a way to kind of transition out of their nine to five career and into something that will help them to monetize the knowledge that they've garnered over the course of time inside of their career. And so I help them to really dial in and understand what that special sauce is that they have and turn it into a consulting business. So that's uh, the very brief background about who I am and how I help people. Cool. So you kind of always had like that education kind of in your blood. It sounds like you were a principal before, and then you kind of shifted over to teach women in business in a slightly different way. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's, there are definitely parallels there between my formal career and what I currently do. Um, By trade now, I am also a consultant for education. So I'm, I still have connections and ties to education. So talking to principals all the time, coaching and training teachers is what my new day job is, I guess you could say. And by new, I've been doing this for quite some time. But more recently, I've started coaching professionals so that they can do something similar to what I'm doing. Cool. Yeah. So how how long have you had, have you officially been doing um, kind of more the coaching, like working with actual other other entrepreneurs in that way? Yeah. So it's been about five years and it, it's taken on That's different iterations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, so <laughs> it's still a it's still a decently long time. Um, but it started out as just me speaking. I started out talking about toxic workplaces and I'd published a book called Women Winning at Work. And that book was all about my personal story of overcoming toxic workplaces. And then that turned into me offering that same help to companies and corporations and and I started landing contracts because of the work that I was doing there. And so that foundation kind of led me to where I currently am and the courses that I that I provide for my students all are based on those opportunities that I was able to land while speaking. 
Oh, wow. So it really started with a book, essentially. It all started with a book. The book is what got me out of uh, the principalship. The book is what I started with because I didn't know where I wanted to go business-wise. Um, and I don't recommend this to anybody else, but I leapt without a net. <laughs> I was just like, I am out of here. It's time for a change. It's time for a transition. And the book is where I started my speaking career. And I wrote, I woke up every morning at about 4.30 in the morning before it was time for me to go to school. And I wrote a chapter of the book every morning. And, you know, that was my first copy. Of course, I got it edited and everything thereafter. But I wrote the book in about 21 days. Wow, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. And was... did you feel like because of, because of the book and those speaking engagements, that's kind of where your first clients started to come from? So it was sort of natural with that? Yeah, it all flowed pretty naturally. And that's what I was really focused on because I didn't know exactly what type of business I wanted to create. So it was really building a plane while in flight. And so I knew that I was I was great at speaking and I knew that I was great at writing. So I just coupled those two together. And my expertise while formally in the field of education was English and language arts. <laughs> so those it, it just kind of naturally flew that flowed that way, excuse me. And from there, the rest is history. Wow, cool. I love it when it just, when it just flows, when it just feels yeah. like it just works out, things just happen in the way that helps you build your business. And it's not like feeling like a struggle or like you're having to overly strategize kind of to make something work. It's like, it sounds like that was just like naturally what was supposed to happen for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was hard work and stuff. So I don't mean to oversimplify that, but... <laughs> No, absolutely. But the thing about it is when things took off in that particular arena, I, I started booking clients like Rolls Royce and Humana. I did a TED talk and um, got some local contracts here with the city of Houston. So things just kind of flowed and it naturally took me, it always took me back to education because a lot of my speaking engagements were through um, through the industry of colleges and universities. So I'll, I had a lot of speaking engagements on that route because within those colleges and universities, there are um, organizations and those organizations want speakers. So all of that flow, it, everything kept taking me back to some form of education. So I've been able to share share that news of how you actually do that for a long time now. Wow, cool. So, so when you start working with a um, with another woman, like like an entrepreneur who's looking to kind of to do that too, to build these contracts with other brands and and build up her business in that way. Um, well, first of all, so you specify that you help people build five figure corporate contracts. So, I mm -hmm. guess I mean that you know that sounds intriguing. Like what is the difference to you, I guess, between like a five figure contract or, you know, something smaller or, um, like, what is it that helps you? What is it that helps somebody get that kind of contract versus obviously, like, I think you're saying these are, these are big contracts. These are not just like something that's going to be a couple hundred bucks a month. And, um, you know, this is something that's really going to help you build your business. Like, as you say, you, you can maintain a consistent cash flow. So what does that look like? And, um, what's the difference between what you're kind of like helping 
people figure out and create and and pitch, I guess, versus someone who's not going to kind of go that big. Yeah. So the reason why I specifically state that five figure plus contracts are what you need to focus on is if you're going to be a consultant and you want to remain in business and not have to work so hard, that's the number that you need to start at 10K plus 10K to 99.999K plus, you know, in six figures even. But the reason why is because you want something sustainable. People who are looking to exit their nine to fives, for example, and they have built up all of this knowledge, you don't do that so that you can go over and land a $200 gig for speaking on somebody's stage. So you want to definitely make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck. And so what I do is teach people how to strategically ask for what you want by building in the value that is already there. And so one of the things that I like to do is talk people through the whole pitch process, which is when you start out by going cold. So you'll already have a certain amount of people within your network that can probably make introductions based on the expertise that you have. So first, it's all about alignment. And then with the with that clarity of alignment between what you do and the brands that you work with, you're going to ask for those introductions to your warm network. But when it comes to cold pitching, what you're doing is you're still looking for that alignment piece, but you're crafting emails and sound bites that are specifically created to reach your target market. And so I teach women how to how to look for who they should be talking to based on their industry, what those titles might be, and then how to craft an actual email that gets opened, gets read, and gets responded to. And after that, one of the major pieces would be to move into their proposal after they get an opportunity to speak with them, land the opportunity to to talk via Zoom or in person over coffee. Now it's time for you to really understand what that discovery call is like and from that discovery call, write your proposal. Yeah. So can I ask, so when you're, when you're talking about the these contracts and the, then what these women will be doing with the with different companies are you thinking mostly speaking engagements like what you started out doing or are you working with people who are doing all different kinds of like offering any different kind of service yeah so it's not just speaking engagements though a lot of the women who i work with want to have more opportunities to speak it's also about just leveraging whatever it is that they know from their industry so Technically, most of the women that I work with at least have their bachelor's degree, but most have their master's and their PhD or some form of doctorate because they have gone that deep into whatever their skill is. And as a result of that, they want to put that level of expertise in front of companies and corporations. So most of the people that I work with um, have some level of expertise in their industry. And it's more than just speaking. It's about um, maybe a series of workshops that they might want to host. Sometimes it may even be that they are writing curriculum for a particular particular company or organization. So um, I'm doing a challenge in the middle of a challenge right now to attract your corporate client. And one of the one of the women in my in my challenge is an art dealer. So, you know, it's all walks of life, really, to answer your question. 
Okay. Okay. And when you say like a $10,000 contract or whatever, is that for like, if it is a speaker or somebody doing a workshop, that would be like $10,000 for like this workshop series or for like a speaking series or something like that. Like, yeah, I guess so- for me, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, I just was thinking about that. And I was like, so, so, I mean, for example, and I'm probably, this is probably like a little bit different, but like, I have a PR agency. So I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that sounds like a lot, but uh, I guess I'm not sure. I, I just in thinking about like contracts, like I charge my clients monthly retainers. So if you think mm-hmm. about what I'm charging, like over the course of a year, it's absolutely in five figures, but I guess I don't think of myself as charging five figure. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about it. I think of it as mon- a monthly thing. So when you're saying like it's a five figure contract, is that that for like a one off thing or is that for like throughout the course of like working with someone for a year or something like that? Does that make sense? Is that a weird Yeah, thing? no, that makes total sense. And yes, you can most definitely charge five figures. You can you can definitely land a 10K speaking contract and that's just that one off service, but you can also land a $50,000 contract for four different workshops that you might host over the course of a year. And so that means that you're doing work each quarter to make sure that those workshops are delivered. But each time you're invoicing 12K, 15K, uh, for the delivery of that workshop. Now, that doesn't mean that the you just show up and you do the workshop and you're done. There may be some preliminary work or some additional follow-up sessions that accompany that. So it's really all about the way that you package your services. So for example, with me, one of the things that I do with my education contracts is I can have multiple going on at a time. And each contract may be worth anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars, but if I'm only scheduled to see you once every other week, or to see the teachers to whom I'm assigned once every other week, that gives me quite a bit of room to see multiple campuses and work with different teachers in different districts. And so I could garner five, ten contracts. Just depends on what the year is looking like. Um, but five, five or ten contracts would have me living a comfortable life and those each of those contracts being worth anywhere from 30 to fifty thousand dollars or even more depending on the services that they want so i would say that yes based on your example with the retainer if you can still get to five figures that way plus that's one way to do it but you can also write yourself into doing way less work and earn way more money by saying, okay, I can offer you these services and it's um, once monthly, for example. And each industry is different. So once people get into my courses and classes, we kind of dive into what that would look like for them. Yeah, thank you for for like clarifying and spelling that out a little bit more. But so it sounds like the next step is kind of those proposals. Like what do you, how, um, yeah, you say it's basically about crafting like the brilliant proposal that is going to want to get these corporate clients interested in having you come in and do whatever it is your your thing that you're going to do so what 
what can you tell us about how you kind of walk people through creating that kind of a proposal? I feel like that's kind of what we all want to hear now is like, how do I secure these things? Yeah, absolutely. And so right before the proposal, you have to collect some information. So that's when I was talking to you earlier about making sure that you land an opportunity to actually talk to them on a discovery call. So during that discovery call, you're really listening for several things. And I want to give you some examples of that before I jump into the actual sections of the proposal. So there are kind of, there's kind of like a four tier system that I take my customers and clients to. So first part of the discovery call is what is the problem, the actual discovery piece. And so you might ask questions like, tell me more about uh, why you decided to take this call with me, because you want to leave the door open for them to start releasing those pain points that they might have. And you also might lead the conversation by saying things like, current clients are experiencing challenges with X. Are you all experiencing similar obstacles or is there additional or are there additional layers uh, to your immediate concern? So that is helping you to kind of set up the call for what you need to hear moving forward. And so after they have shared, you know, these are some of the things that we're struggling with. You're also listening for what they don't say. And after that segment of the call has ensued, you then want to move into the value phase. And so this is where you, you start to reiterate some of the things that they've said. Well, I heard you say that the goal is X. Tell me what the value of X is. How much revenue or breathing room would that give to the company? And it may not always be revenue. You may be helping them to streamline business processes, or you may be helping them to gain more cohesiveness within their leadership team. It could, whatever your area of expertise is, you're going to gear your questions towards that. And you're asking them about these value questions because you want to put them in the mindset of how much that it will actually cost them in the end, as far as an amount is concerned. But you want to know what experiences and results would make them feel like they made a great decision if you all were to partner together. So these are all of the value questions that you might be asking. And then you move into the goal summation section. And that goal summation is really about helping them to understand what their goals are, reiterating those to them, and helping them to achieve their desired outcome. And so what you're going to do is sum up the conversation, and then you're going to make sure that you ask them, well, is there anyone else that I should be connected with so that we can make sure that this project goes smoothly should we decide to work together? This way, everyone's on the same page with who the decision makers are, and you won't have to go back and forth with a person who may not be able to actually write the final check or to make the final say so. So after that piece, you move into the final section, which is the timeline. And that's where you might say something like, it sounds like your problem is keeping you from these three, these three things. And that tells me that you need to implement a solution relatively quickly. How soon are you looking to start addressing this problem? And so this is going to give you more information about where their guidelines are on how soon they want to start. And all of this information is collected so that you can start writing out and crafting a strong proposal for them. So, Alessandra, are you ready for me to tell you the sections of a proposal you should have based on this conversation? 
Yes, I, I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. I mean, I, and as I said, like, I, my business is probably a little bit different, but I'm like really curious to hear if like my proposals have the kinds of things you're talking about, or if I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have been doing this the whole time. No, absolutely. So the first section of your proposal should be a hook. And that hook is going to reel them in with a high level recap of your initial meeting. So all of those questions that I just took you through, and of course, that's just a snapshot of the questions that we asked. But all of those questions that you take them through, you're now going to reiterate that to them in the form of a hook that really focuses on the pain points that they mentioned within that meeting. And after you write the hook out in your proposal, you're going to start priming the pain. So you're going to lead with the pain that they suggested, but you're going to tie it into the solution that you offer. So one of the things that you are going to be thinking about is, okay, where are they having the most trouble? Where are they bleeding out, if you will? And then how can what I have to offer help them or help them to mitigate some of what they are currently experiencing? And then you have the uh, producing the plan. So that's the third layer there. And when you produce the plan, that means you are writing out what the client can expect. So that's the manifestation of the solution. What are some of the things that that they can take and grab onto as a part of this experience with you? That means that you're telling them step by step, here's what we're going to do first, here's what we're going to do second, and here's what we're going to do third. And these are going to be the outcomes after we move through each layer of these steps. And then after you present the plan, you're going to also present the price. And that pricing is going to be by line item. So each segment of the plan may have its own price. So step one might have a particular price point attached to it. Step two might have a secondary pricing price point and so on. And this is an optional way to do it. There are multiple ways you can price out your plan. You can do it line item by line item, or you can do it segment by segment, because some people may come back to you and say, ah, you know, I don't think I need this whole thing, but maybe we can do this segment here that you just mentioned, and maybe we can have some modifications to it, because you do have to be open to negotiation once you send your proposal out. So keep that in mind. But whether you do it line item by line item or segment by segment is going to depend largely on your industry and what your deliverables are. And then you're going to stick the landing after you pilot the plane. I think I skipped that skip that step, pilot the plane. And so when you pilot the plane, you're going to show up as the trusted guide with social proof. That means that now I'm going to share a few testimonials with you of ways that we've helped other people that are in your similar position. So I like to include that because I want them to have all of the information that they need to make a solid decision about the proposal that I am delivering to them. And then when you stick the landing, which is the last piece, you're going to give a call to action. And that call to action is simply to sign the agreement and seal the deal. And sealing the deal means that you're making a payment of some sort. You are actually asking for an installment in order to get started. That installment could be 50%, it could be 25%, whatever your business model requires. And if that is not the case, there are some companies who have their own way of doing business. So some of the bigger box companies have a net 30, net 60, net 90 day. 
of the way in which they pay their invoicing. So it may not be that they make an initial investment up front, but it may be that you invoice them and get your money on the back end. So you just have to know what the rules of the game are for the companies that you desire to do business with. But those are the sections that you mainly need to have in order to have a great proposal. Did that answer your question, Alexandra? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think, I mean, I feel like that's, probably something that really anybody can use as an outline for really almost any kind of proposal you'd ever have to put together right absolutely it doesn't even have to be yeah I feel like anything whether it's like kind of a consultation kind of agree um partnership or any kind of service any kind of speaking anything like that I think um yeah, you've kind of inspired me to look at my proposals a little bit. <laughs> awesome. I, I think that's, you know, those are kind of the main sections I think that I use, but I don't necessarily, um, I think some of them could be stronger in terms of, you know, I kind of start with a summary at the beginning, but I don't really try, I, I think I could definitely make it stronger in terms of, you know, just addressing those specific pain points they were talking about and, those kind of like what sort of not, I mean I don't want to make somebody feel like bad about <laughs> what they're doing or what's going to happen if they don't mm -hmm. hire me but mm -hmm. using some of those some of that wording of like you know what will essentially happen or what you'll miss out on or lose out on if you don't address these issues right now in the way that like I can help you with them kind of thing like I think I could do definitely some stronger work with that in my proposal. Yeah, and and I think it's not about making the customer feel a certain type of way about your wording, but it's more so putting them in the mindset of, like you mentioned, what is lost if you don't move forward with this process, whether it be with me or anyone else, you know, what do some future pacing with them. What will your life look like if you do move forward with this particular service that I'm offering? And what might stay the same and not change and continue to cause you pain if you don't yeah. move forward? You know, yeah, it makes, so. it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, people want to, I mean, especially if it's like going to be a big investment, right? People are like, oh, that feels like a lot of money. But if you look mm -hmm. at like, okay, but three years from now, like here's where you could be if you invest that and here's where you could be if you don't, essentially, exactly. you know, not necessarily that you lay it out exactly that way, but mm -hmm. kind of getting that feeling across, like it's, it's a no brainer actually because of these reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I We're also don't, I don't put any kind of testimonials or, or those that social proof in my proposals. So I might think about that. I mean, I have that stuff like on my website and stuff. And I guess I've mm -hmm. kind of always just assumed Mm -hmm. they'll have already like looked at you know already kind of checked me out in all of those ways before that um before that stage but I think that definitely like as a client or a customer myself I always like to see that so I always want to be like okay who have you worked with and like what did they say about you and like what did the work look like that you've done for people similar to me and I don't think I offer that as much <laughs> myself when I'm the when I'm on the other end of things even though I really appreciate that when I'm the client yeah no absolutely and then there's different types of clients so we can't assume anything and I think that's a part that a lot of business owners move into and they don't think about because you have a website with everything laid out we assume that we've already been checked out but you you have a, a buyer that's a logical buyer who is going to go through and read every word of your website and see what other people are saying about you they'll research your google reviews and all of that but then you also have your impulsive buyer 
the one who's like, I'm just ready to make a decision. You seem like you might be good. But when you send that proposal over, it's it's there in front of them so that it can further reinforce their confidence in you. So I definitely think that's something worth taking a look at. And it doesn't have to be anything that's super involved, but what are the high level components that you help to fix for these clients that made them a happy customer? So it may be a direct quote from them, or it may be like a mini case study of what you were able to do for them. So you do have options. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really good to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely go through that. I think I'll, I'll maybe like write some of this out in the show notes and stuff too. So people can really like go through and check their proposals or if they've never done one before, start putting something together kind of with all of those steps and make sure you don't leave anything out and and have some direction for how to do all of that. I think that's really, really helpful. Absolutely. Is there anything that people should keep in mind? Like, you know, say you've got the proposal, I don't know, anything else for like after that in terms of best practices for following up or, or any, any steps after that, that you feel like we should talk about? Yeah. So I think as far as following up is concerned, you want to give them an opportunity to have the proposal and to get it to the people who need to see it. And that means that it's going to take more than just a couple of days for them to do that. Because just like you have a schedule, they have schedules as well. And I think to take a step back, one of the things that sounds very intimidating is the fact that you're going after corporate contracts or you're going after big box clients. But what we have to remember is that on the other side of these contracts are people just like us. And so I don't want us to get intimidated by the fact, oh, this company makes millions of dollars per year. No, it's a person. Her name is probably Sarah or Lindsay or something like that. And she is giving you the opportunity to say how you can provide services to the company that she works for. So that makes it a little bit less intimidating. And when you're thinking about following up with Sarah or Lindsay or whomever, and and I'm I'm partial to uh, women because I work with women (laughs) all the time. what one of the things that you might do is give them about two weeks before you touch base with them again, depending on your industry. Everybody has standards, as I continue to mention. But in general, wait about two weeks before you follow up and say, hey, you know, sent the proposal over a couple of weeks back. Just wanted to make sure that you didn't have any questions. And then if they still don't follow up because people are busy, doesn't mean they're ignoring you. You want to follow up again in another two weeks. And If you don't hear anything for any reason after you send your proposal out, you also have to understand that there is a cadence within each industry where they're actually reviewing, where they're actually budgeting and um, certain things might be going on during the time frame in which you spoke. And so at that point, I encourage all of my students to circle back maybe in about three months, which is the equivalent of a quarter. It's like, hey, you know, sorry, we didn't get things going. Uh, this first go around, but I wanted to circle back to see if now is a good time to revisit some of the things that we discussed. So it's really just like you and I are having a conversation. It's very conversational. And it's not something that you have to be super formal about when you're following up. And then you also want to remember, in order for your proposal to be something that is of value, it typically falls into a few realms of what people are going to pay for. So is your product or service going to help to make the company more money or increase their bottom line? Is it going to help them to make a massive change within their company? Is it going to increase productivity amongst 
the employees that are there? Is it going to significantly decrease some type of risk that they are currently facing? Or is it going to advance an initiative or a mission that they're trying to accomplish? Those aren't the only things, but usually when you are writing a proposal, it's going to tie into those specific areas because those are quantifiable ways for them to see impact and change. Yeah, that really makes sense. And when you come at it from that perspective, right, even just with that, like in your mind, as you're putting together the proposal, it seems like that will help steer, really steer the proposal and make sure that you feel really confident in what you're providing and in the services and the price that you're charging all of those things. Cause it's like, yeah, this is, this is so important in helping them, you know, whatever that is, you know, get over this, Mm -hmm. this issue or, or reach this level of success or things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I like what you said about circling back the next quarter, because sometimes, yeah, we do get busy and Mm -hmm. something that seems like a priority or worth talking about at one point can just sort of fall to the side when other things come up, but it doesn't mean that like they won't be interested, like that they don't actually still really want it. And you've already put in like that legwork and getting started with those conversations and things like that. So it's worth checking back in and just being like, you know, is now a better time to think about it? Because I think a lot of times we get into like a mode of like, oh, they didn't say yes. So they're, 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 they're saying no. Right. Or like, they're Mm -hmm. not, they don't like me or they're not, um, they're rejecting my proposal. Right. But not necessarily the case. Yeah. And there are so many factors that we don't know about that go on behind the scenes. So we really do have to provide a lot of grace, especially when we're pitching cold, pitching to people that we don't know. And so if you're not really considerate of the fact that they may have had um they may have had a merger, for example, or there may have been some changes within the department. So things kind of got lost in the shuffle or something else that major that has happened behind the scenes that you have no clue about. You can't make assumptions that, oh, they just forgot about me or things aren't aren't what they initially seemed because there's always more to the story and you only have one side of that story. Yeah, yeah, so true. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> Absolutely. I say the same thing when it comes to PR too. It's like you can pitch somebody a story idea and just because it doesn't work for them that month doesn't mean they're not going to be interested in something you pitch three months from now. Sometimes exactly. people just like kind of cross somebody off their list because they're like, well, they didn't reply. Mm-hmm. But or or even they said no. But I'm like, yeah, but three months from now, you know, there's a little different bit of an angle to it. Thing whatever's going on in the world might be different. Like for whatever reason, there might be a reason that now it does make sense for them. So there's always like a yeah, there's something between a yes and a no. And it's not that they should be crossed off the list. They just might need to be kind of, you know, set a reminder for later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I feel like the only like main outstanding thing, and I'm sure this is something that you go through a lot, like with the clients, once you, once you work with them, cause it's so specific, but I just feel like it's worth like mentioning. It seems like the hardest part at that point is, or, I mean, I guess, I mean, this would come before the proposal, but finding the person that you want to reach out to at whatever company, like whatever, wherever you're trying to even pitch your services to, you have to know who to even be reaching out to. How do you know who to even pick? So that seems like just something worth, 
mentioning too, I'm sure you have to kind of tailor your outreach and your, even the proposal, maybe to a certain extent to the person that is the right contact at that, at mm-hmm. that place. Um, so again, I'm sure that's probably so individually specific, but I assume that's something you kind of go over with people more too. Like once you really start working with them to help them with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So when you pitch, there are so many different types of pitches. And I talk through a lot of these with my clients, but sometimes you are pitching for a sponsorship, for example. And if you're, that means that you're doing a live event or you're doing something with your audience where you want to get others other sponsors in front of your audience and that sponsor wants the same thing from from you they want to be able to have a seat at the table so they can talk to your audience that you've built because they're within the target market of what they're trying to sell so in that case you may be reaching out to the director of community relations for example um so usually these people who you're reaching out to have some type of director role And you may end up speaking with their assistant to get to them, for example. But a lot of the ways that you find it, find them, it's very industry specific outside of the sponsorship piece. But most of the times it it may be uh, the director of marketing. If you are the person who is wanting to help them with some aspect of their marketing or connecting them with an influencer, for example, like some of those things are very industry specific, but the best way to figure out who your person is to talk to is by researching it. So go on the website and see who the employees are there. And sometimes there's a full write up on every person that has a position of power there. And one of the things, that you will also do is if you're cold pitching these people is the very last line of your cold pitch email should say if you are not the appropriate person to talk to about this matter could you please forward this to the person who is and with that one line I've gotten responses back that said, hey, yeah, I'm not the right person to speak to, but I'm forwarding it forwarding it to John over in X department. He should be able to help you. You know, something as simple as that. Now, does that mean that everybody's going to respond if it's the wrong person? Not necessarily, but you have to put yourself out there and take that chance. Um, another great way is to be on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a wealth of knowledge and information when it comes to the right people to talk to. So forming relationships, it's also a great way to figure out who's in charge of what. And so if you have a dream client that you want to work with, how can you start to get in front of some of the people who work there? Because when you're pitching, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so forming organic relationships that are actually meaningful versus only using cold pitching as your source of getting new revenue is uh, definitely the way to go. So you definitely want to think about your long-term strategy as well, because sometimes you may be working to get a contract for six months or even a year before it actually manifests itself. And other things you can get more quickly. So and a perfect example of this is when I was trying to get sponsorship for my live event. I didn't know Frost Bank when I first reached out to them. And that was a two-month turnaround, I believe, before we actually got a partnership in place. But there are other places like the city of Houston, when I had a contract with them, that took more like five to six months before we actually had anything come to fruition. So you really have to play the game of patience as well. 
Mm, yeah, good to keep in mind as someone who struggles with patience. <laughs> no, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I'm more like, let's jump right in if I get excited about something or if I mm-hmm. like find someone I want to work with. I'm like, how come they haven't decided to like pull the trigger when we talked two days ago? <laughs> but I know, you know, logically, I know that right. that's the case. What you're saying makes so much sense. And I totally, totally understand and, and agree with the forming real connections like actually trying to get to know people who are involved and and then hopefully have a warm connection or at least some actual relationship with people who are a part of that organization rather than just totally coming in blind so I think that's really really smart if we can think about some of these places that like something that might be a dream client for like next year or six months Mm -hmm. from now and then start actually creating authentic ways to get involved exactly a good idea that's great. Okay, so I want to shift gears for one second before we wrap up and just hear a little bit more about like you as a as a business owner. Like, are there any things that you do like in terms of running this business? It sounds like you do, um, you know, work with a lot of different people. Sometimes in maybe stressful situations. <laughs> Is there anything you do like on a regular basis that just help you stay grounded? Anything like that you do as a daily kind of routine or weekly routine or things like that for building your own business and or staying like kind of, you know, grounded in, in your life and work? Yeah, absolutely. As far as grounding is concerned, I like to keep a morning routine. So typically I wake up in the morning. I don't set my alarm unless I know I have an early morning for for some reason, like I need to get to a campus. But in general, my body usually wakes me up between seven and seven thirty, and I get ready to go for a morning brisk walk or run. And after I do that and come back and get settled in, I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll journal and I'll read something inspirational and then I'll get started with my day. And in general, my day gets started with some type of professional development, something that I'm learning on the top end. And sometimes that can happen simultaneously with my workout through a podcast or an audible book. But um, oftentimes I'm really delving into a course that I've purchased or an accelerator or a mastermind that I'm a part of where some new content has just been dropped and really consuming that information. And then I get started with my day. And on certain days, I may be pitching for a new business, for example. So my pitch day might be on the Tuesday of every week and the top of the morning is dedicated to going to my hit list, which is my HIT list. And it's not like the mob or the mafia, but more so like um, the high intensity touch list. That's, that's what I call it. So it's a high intensity touch list. I already have a list of people to whom I want to reach out and I am going to make sure that I followed up with them. If I'm within that two week time frame or that I reach out to them, period, if I've not yet made a contact. So it's really about having that organization on the back end. And usually I spend Sunday nights organizing what I want to do for the week. And then from there, I have that plan moving forward. And I know on Tuesday, I'm about to sit down and, and knock out my hit list. And love that. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that kind of keep me grounded and keep me moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's great. So you're like proactively reaching out to contacts at some point, either for building your business or or getting ahead in some way, like every single week. 
Oh, yeah. I think you have to because you want to continue to generate new business, but it's also just as important for you to continue to maintain contact with people you, yeah. with whom you've already done business or you're currently doing business with because your best next lead is the one that you already have. How can you continue to innovate services that are going to fit the needs of the people who are already within your Rolodex, the people who you've already serviced? What else do they need from you? What more can you provide them so that you don't have to spend the man hours and the money that it costs to acquire a client. And that's another number that it's good for you to know in general. How much does it cost in time and in finances for you to acquire a new client? Well, that cost is already built into your previous clients that you've already acquired. So what are some other avenues and what's the journey that they can continue to go on with you that is going to make sense for them and their company and their business needs. And so that's where that whole funnel comes in. You know, what's at the very top or of your funnel or the very bottom, if you turn that funnel upside down to where your higher price services come in, but it's more specialized, it's more niche, but it really fits the needs of, you know, a handful of your clients who are willing to go there with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so smart and such a good idea. And again, I feel like I'm like not to turn everything into like me, but <laughs> I feel like I don't do that enough. I feel like I do a certain amount of that just like in a kind of organic way, but not in like a really intentional way, if you know what I mean. So I yeah, think that I yeah. can definitely create a hit list and be more intentional <laughs> about that every week. And yeah, just more on a regular basis. I think that's, it's absolutely true that it's a lot easier to to work with people you already know and to work with people who already have worked with you and things like that. Like that's mm -hmm. so true. So capitalize on that when you can for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there anything you wish you knew when you first started your business that, yeah, that you, that you didn't know, but you think would made it, made it easier? Really having a way to have recurring revenue honestly, is what I wish I knew going in, whether that be through a membership or through what I currently teach, which is how to create recurring revenue through these contracts that you are going to attain. Because even though it's not on and on forever, it is a monthly intake that you can depend on. And that's what I mean by sustainable, reliable cash flow uh, and consistent cash flow. So I don't think I knew that. I knew more so about selling one-off products and selling my speaking services. So in addition to that, you know, what are some of the things or what are some of the complementary services that I can provide that don't cause me to stretch too much that I can also offer that will continue to keep revenue pouring in. So I think that's one of the main things that I wish I knew um, that I know now, of course. And because of that, my business has thrived more than it ever has. But starting out, I was like, what, how am I going to make my bills next month? Because remember, I told you I jumped, I leapt without a net and without a plan. I just knew I had this book and I had my voice. But of course, you build out your structure as you move along. So for anyone out there listening, make sure that you have an opportunity for some recurring revenue to be a part of your business model. Yeah, that's, that sounds really smart. Is there anything else? Any other like bit of advice or last little last little bit of information you want to leave us with? 
I think the main thing that I want people to walk away with is that you definitely have the power to do whatever you have set out to do in your business, but you have to be resilient. I think the main takeaway for most business owners is that if you haven't tried it seven to 15 different times, different ways, then you haven't really tried enough. A lot of us give up at the first sign of of difficulty or disappointment, but what other avenues have you tried in order to make that thing successful, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in your business? And know that we're tasked as entrepreneurs to be problem solvers. But if you can't bring yourself to solve a problem for yourself, then how will you solve problems for other people? So when the going gets tough, one of the things that you have to remember is that, you know, take a moment to step back and breathe, but jump right back in there with a different approach and a different angle. Try something new, take a new risk. I think that's one of the main things that I would tell any emerging or new entrepreneur that might be listen, listening. And for the seasoned entrepreneurs, how can you innovate? You know, if you've been doing things the same way for a certain amount of time, it's great that it works, but where's the innovative part to what you're doing? How is what you're doing different or standing out from someone else that may be in the same industry? Not that you're competing against those people, but how can you continue to push yourself so that it doesn't become stagnant, so that you continue to stay in love with your business, so that you can continue to uh, forge new paths, so that you can leave an even bigger legacy while you're here and once you're gone? What's going to remain that's lasting after you've long left this earth? So those would be some of the elements I would leave behind for everyone listening. I love that. Thank you so much. That's yeah, absolutely. So good. Um, yeah, I love it. I don't want to say anything else. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that with us and just for like asking those questions and, and making us think about it because that's so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. So tell, so tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you online, if they want to find out more information about what you do or, or just get to know you more. Yeah, absolutely. So two different places. If you're on social media, I mainly hang out on Instagram and you can find me at transformation seven and that's the word transformation and the number seven all together. Or you can find me on my website, tiffanyawashington.com. That's T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-A-Washington.com. And you can find out how to work with me over there. Um, but usually I'm posting pretty consistently. And if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, that's also pretty awesome. Just let me know how you heard about me, which is through this podcast. And I'd be happy to engage in some conversation with you. Awesome. Amazing. I love it. I'll, I'll find you on LinkedIn. Um, oh, and, and what about your book? Can people still, can people buy your book? Yeah, absolutely. So my book is a 21 day devotional and it's called Women Winning at Work. And I use this as the base for, as I mentioned, uh, the workplace toxicity piece, and you can find it on Amazon. So just look up Women Winning at Work on Amazon and find Tiffany A. Washington as the author and you'll have my book in your hands. Okay. We'll put a link to that in the show notes too, then that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was really, really great. I think that we're all going to be able to walk away with stronger proposals and, and just being really intentional with how we're trying to reach out to new, new clients or projects. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast wherever you listen so you won't miss the next episode. And leave a review on iTunes so other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.